The Cairo Jazz Club is a rarity in Egypt, a nightclub where people of diverse backgrounds come to drink alcohol, socialize, dance, but especially listen to live bands. And tonight, an unusual group is taking the stage. Bass, drums, violin, oud, saxophone, and percussion. Well, it could be one of Cairo's experimental jazz ensembles, but the singer, Bashir, comes from Aswan, up the Nile River towards the border with Sudan. And the music, while modern, is based on that region's distinctive traditional folklore. with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Today we sample Egypt's diverse ethnic folklore on Egypt 4 Living Traditions. We'll hear Nubian and Bedouin music, Tsar healing songs, a Zefa wedding procession, ecstatic Sufis, and we'll visit Port Said to meet El Tambura, perhaps Egypt's preeminent folk ensemble. We begin with Bashir speaking at a cafe a few days after his Cairo Jazz Club concert. وانا شايف ان فعلا الواحد لازم يهتم Bashir says it's essential that we Egyptians know our origins. We have to put traditional culture back into the conversation because it tells us who we are. Bashir believes that a new awareness of folklore will flourish in post-revolution Egypt. And we hope that he's right. Because as our hip-deep advisor Christina Nelson points out, that hasn't always been the case. No, there's been a bias against folk music. A very prominent musicologist and critic, Suleiman Gamil, tells a story of um, the teacher said, you know, bring instruments to class. So people were bringing harps and trumpets and whatever. And he brought a mizmar, a folk oboe. And the teacher took one look at it and said, which is the kid's word for naughty, naughty. Uh, that's dirt, you know, and sort of beat him and threw him out of the class. That was in the 40s. And it hasn't gotten that much better since. I went to um, the Arabic Music Festival at the Opera House. And that's where I heard someone going on and on about the piano being the perfect instrument and how the first lady had said that her dream was to have a piano in every village. Not even an oud or kanun, uh, which are the you know prestigious Arabic music instruments, but a piano. <laughs> Well, we won't hear any pianos on today's program, just mizmars, tamburas, simsimiyas, flutes, and all sorts of drums and beautiful voices. We're interested in living traditions and ways that ethnic music finds a place in contemporary Egypt. We kick off with a song from the group Nasmakan, a collective of traditional musicians from Egypt and Sudan finding common ground. <laughs> خيل في لي بستو والحنة في إيدينو حيوعدني بين 
وارتاح يوعدني بالافراح والصدق وارتاح واستنى للصباح الجهل ما Sudan, Nas Makan, with a new mix of ethnic sounds on our hip tip edition, Egypt 4, Living Traditions. Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide. That's the traditional oboe called Mizmar. UC Santa Barbara musicologist Scott Marcus says it's an important folk instrument in Egypt. There are many shapes that this comes in, the Mizmar. There are some that are quite short, six or eight inches long. There's a common one in the south, the Saidi Mizmar, which is a foot, maybe 14 inches, I'm guessing. And then the eastern province one is over two feet long. But they all have the exact same fingering, which is they have these holes on top and then a thumb hole on the bottom. And then you blow into, it's a piece of grass that has been flattened, and this is the reed. So we call this a double reed because you will have the reed on the top and the bottom. The reed is placed on, it's called a staple. It's a a cylindrical piece of metal put into the wooden part of the mizmar. Um, Generally, they're all extremely loud, and so they're outdoor instruments. They're rather inappropriate for indoor. أصل تصنع المزمار أو تقدر تقولي بالمعنى الأدق يعني قبل كده قبل بقى ما يبقى المزمار تركي. That's one of Cairo's most in-demand mizmar players, Kemal Bahalol. 
Playing mizmar is an inherited art, and camel descends from a line of mizmar musicians. He says the particular instrument we know today comes from Turkey. But wind instruments have existed in Egypt since the time of the pharaohs. Camel specializes in a popular Egyptian wedding ritual called zephyr. Zephyr is the idea that there are a lot of times in life cycle rituals where processions happen. The word for procession is zephyr. So the most common is, of course, at weddings. So weddings are a multi-day occasion, and there are supposed to be a number of processions. There is the procession of the henna, paste used to decorate the bride's hands. Then there is the procession of the bride, and later, of the wedding couple. Kamal says the idea of processing the bride and groom in Egypt goes back to the Fatimids, the founders of Cairo, over 1,000 years ago. But the music Kamal and his ensemble perform for Zephas these days has more modern origins. In the films from the 30s and 40s and 50s, 60s, the Zephas were women ensembles. And all but maybe two or four of the women would be playing frame drums and they'd be singing and then two or four of the women would be dancing along, leading the procession. Additionally, the bride would come and then within the middle of the procession, the groom joins. And on the sides, in a sense, creating a column that's walking forward, these women playing these frame drums and singing songs. But in the 1970s, a gentleman from Dumiat, that's a town on the Nile's Mediterranean Delta, shook up the whole Zepha tradition. He created all-male Zepha troops with singers, drummers, and instrumentalists. So this is what Camel does. He performs in this, it's called the Dumiati Zepha. It's the Mizmar of the Eastern Province, which is the longest of the Mizmars. And he could be the only melodic instrument but the Dumiata Zephyr, they also decided, let's bring a couple of people who play brass instruments. And of course, the people who play brass instruments in Egypt were people who had learned in military bands. And so it is somewhat common for the new Dumiati Zephyr to have a trumpet player and a trombone player. And then they'll have all these young guys, and they're playing these percussion things as loud as they possibly can, singing at the top of their voices. It's quite an amazing thing. Camel arranged for us to experience a Zephyr at a five-star hotel in Cairo. The musicians gathered outside the ballroom as guests arrived dressed to kill, everyone waiting for the bride and groom to appear. And when they did, <laughs> just listen. It's interesting to me that there are actually three different groups of people. All the boys, they're teenagers in their 20s and 30s, the ones who sing and play the frame drums. They're one category of people. And the Mizmar player is a hereditary musician from Mizmar family, not like those kids. And then the trombone trumpet player, he's from the military, so he's a very different type of person. So it brings three groups of people together into a, an ensemble. Kemal Bahalol told us that in high season, his ensemble might perform three or more zephas a night, almost always at five-star hotels around Cairo. 
well, these are top-flight gigs. But in other Cairo neighborhoods, weddings are folksier affairs. Scott Marcus has a special fondness for Saidi weddings, held by people from the south of Egypt. Cairo has grown because people from every part of the country have come to live in the big city. And so there are whole neighborhoods that are called folk neighborhoods, shabby neighborhoods, shabby, the word folk. For the most part, they're just dirt streets. When they have a wedding, they just block off the street there and they build a stage so that the musicians are above everybody so that people all the way down this alley can see them very, very easily. For a block and a half, there might be all these speakers on either side on the apartment buildings. They'll put lights, the kind of lights that we think of as Christmas lights, with different colors. They'll put it in every imaginative way. They'll string them down the whole length so that when you walk in, it just feels incredibly festive. Traditionally, the main ensemble would be a mizmar ensemble. Three mizmars and two percussion and a singer. <laughs> Saidi wedding music recorded in Cairo by Scott Marcus. And while we're on the southern band, we met one of Aswan's most famous singers. Afropop's Banning Air picks up the story. Banning? Thanks, George. Saeed Rekebi comes from the Ja'afra clan, and he's mastered a form of competitive improvised poetry called Namim. In Cairo, Saeed's home away from home is Makan, an intimate performance venue for traditional music. There's no PA system here, but the high concrete walls provide warm, natural amplification. A crowd has filled up the few available seats, and the oud is warming up, gradually inspiring Saeed to begin singing. We spoke with Saeed Rekebi before the concert as he drank tea on the street outside Meccan. He said he's been singing Namim poetry for 30 years. He's grateful for Meccan because, for the most part, Egyptian media ignores and even devalues traditional music. Saeed improvised a poem for us on this subject. Allah, 
Said says, Art, you've been betrayed by the words they say about you. Those who are faulty of mind think they understand. Singing in Egypt is now tiresome to those hearing it. Instead of a state of tarab, that's musical ecstasy, they've moved away from the people, and what is dear has been cheapened. Now, anyone fit to chew gum is fit to create music. Art, you have been betrayed. Part of what's special about Jafra music is its rhythms. Said and a percussionist demonstrated a few for us, like the tricky five-beat marboal rhythm. Then another, called Sarah, a rhythm Jafra musicians share with the Nubians. And the fast Arabic rhythm called Malfouf. All these elements figured into Jaffer's performance at McCann, which concluded with an energized rhythmic chant. At the end of our conversation, Saeed Rakebi demonstrated one more Jaffa rhythm, which he called gameli, because it mimics the walking movement of a camel. While he played this rhythm, Saeed began quietly singing one of his own compositions, Nanail Genena, the mint from the garden. Bashir, the young singer from Aswan who opened this program, also sang the song for us, calling it the most famous song in the Jafra Namim repertoire. <laughs> One reason Nanayel Ganeena is so well known around Egypt is that revered veteran singer Mohammed Munir recorded a version of it in the 1990s. Said Rakabi is not a fan of this recording. He says Munir stole the song from him and changed the words to make it a kind of love song. That may be, but in Munir's defense, at least he is drawing on Egyptian folklore and helping to make it known to a larger community. In other parts of Africa, popular singers routinely appropriate folklore and turn it to their own ends. In Egypt, that's rare. One reason traditional music is so marginalized in mainstream society. Here's Mohammed Munir with his version of Nanayel Ganena.
Well, thank you, Banning Air. We'll meet again later on in the program. That was Mohamed Mounir with an interpretation of a Jafra song from Aswan. In an earlier program, we heard the music of Zar, the women's healing ritual rooted in sub-Saharan Africa and still performed in Egypt today. We mentioned that the music of Zar, not the ritual itself, is performed every week at Macan, and it is something to hear. The group Masahel, playing the music of Zar. For these traditional musicians, Macan is a kind of home base in Cairo, and that's just the way founder Ahmed al-Maghrabi likes it. Here uh, we went back to the moment when people come to share music together, not to consume a show. That's why here there is no stage, there is no backstage. You can talk with musicians, you can see, you can touch them, you can drink a tea outside. There is no wall between uh, both sides. And I think that it's uh, something that we lost, uh, but it's very precious. One of the best things about McCann is that they have turned on an elite audience. Christina Nelson. And a young audience. I mean, it's not just old people who are nostalgic who come to these concerts. It's you know, hip young kids who get up there and dance with the czar people and, you know, have a great time. In fact, I worked at McCann for a year and I remember having this, uh, I don't know if it was a moral or a philosophical argument about whether we could call the performance czar disco <laughs> because it always ended up with everybody dancing to czar, which is a really serious healing ceremony. And of course, the performance is not the ceremony, it's the music that's used in the ceremony, in, or in the ritual, I should say. I don't know whether this same audience would then go out and look for other instances of traditional music.
When it opened in 2004, McCann held concerts for a small handful of people. These days, they sometimes have to turn folks away. Friends of traditional music hope that McCann is a sign of a renaissance to come. They will all tell you that Egypt's rich folklore has been woefully neglected by national media and state institutions in recent decades. It used to be the responsibility of the states, of the Minister of Culture, for example, to hand this kind of music. And actually, in 50s and 60s in Egypt, the Minister of Culture uh, went in all the villages and they created small cultural centers where this kind of poor guys with the jilaba, peasant, could have the possibility to express themselves. That's why uh, today we still have this kind of people. 70s, we started to live this at uh, that moment where uh, he started to say, what are you talking about, fellah or peasant? No, 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 let's bring Frank Sinatra all these big names. Why you eat food? You should eat hamburger. Why you are dressing like a peasant? You should put Levi's blue jeans. We started to lose the identity. We started to just to imitate the West without making an evaluation between the 50s and 60s experience and what we should do next. And of course with Mubarak, it was the disaster, really. Imagine 30 years with the same man, 26 years with the same minister of culture. It was his job to kill any thought, to kill any quality, to kill any difference, to kill any diversity, and just to give an image of a moderate Egypt. up Nubian music and Bedouin songs at Tambura Hall, plus a visit to Port Said with El Tambura and Rango, and to Upper Egypt for a Sufi scent festival, a moulid. You can read interviews from contributors to this program, hear a web-exclusive podcast on the Sufi moulid, and see choice videos and performances by artists on this program. All at Afropop. Org. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. We're in a taxi making our way through tight back alleys in downtown Cairo. We're looking for Tambura Hall, a new performance venue named for the ancient pharaonic lyre, the Tambura. Musician, activist and folklorist Zakaria Ibrahim and his organization El Mastaba created the venue in 2010 to showcase traditional music in Cairo. And tonight, the Bedouin Jerrican band has driven all the way from their home in the Sinai Peninsula to play here. We are the Bedouin Jerrican band. We are a collective of semi-nomadic musicians, singers, dancers, storytellers, and coffee grinders from Sinai Desert in Egypt. And we are so pleased to share our music and our Bedouin culture. 
Swing Jerrican Band. You heard Ali Ibrahim, right? This is a band of musicians, singers, dancers, storytellers, and coffee grinders. Well, we'll get to the coffee in a moment, but first, about those jerrycans. Our ancient Bedouin found this jerrycan in the desert after the war of 1967. Our famous war with Israel. Bedouin, in his nature, he loved percussion. He can play any something from the kitchen, plates, dishes. He found the jerrycan and uh, he looked at the jerrycan. What I can do with this jerrycan? Begin to play in the front, the middle, in the bottom. He noticed that there is a distinguished sound come from the bottom of this jerrycan. After that, he managed to make it as a mean percussion in any occasion and in any group. sound is the jerry can and the high clicking is an ammunition box this is a one-of-a-kind rhythm section and the beating heart of the bedouin jerry can band these musicians come from el arish an oasis town on the mediterranean coast of the sinai peninsula since ancient times the bedouin have herded sheep in the sinai it's a tough life anyone would tell you Lots of long, lonely nights in the desert. Hence, the importance of songs, dances, jokes, and coffee. Here, from their city, Coffee Time, the Bedouin Jerrican band with, what else? Black coffee. Sinai Peninsula, sharing the spotlight at Tambura Hall that night, were members of Nubian music ensemble Nubanur. Oh, 
هو حنين الموسيقى للنوبة القديمة لأن كان فنانة كله مستوحى من الطبيعة بتاعتنا Osama Abu Bakr of Nuba Nur is commenting on the nostalgic quality of Nubian music. Nubia is a lost Nile River kingdom, its remnants submerged under the river's waters following the construction of the Aswan High Dam during the 1960s. Nubian music preserves language as old as the pharaohs, and poetry set to loping frame drum rhythms and soulful pentatonic melodies. Osama says the nostalgia comes from the physicality of the Nubian landscape, the river, the palm tree, the people's lives as farmers. Because we are absent from these things, you find a lot of sadness in our music. Ancient Nubia included parts of northern Sudan and southern Egypt. And to this day, a lot of Sudanese musicians come to Cairo to seek opportunity. My name is Ahmed Saeed Abu Amna. I'm from Bija people, live in eastern Sudan. Those people, they have more than 5,000 years and still keeping their music and their culture. They playing this instrument called Masankob. It's five strings African lyre. And they have three different tuning. One for an instrumental only, the other two for singing and playing. That's beautiful. 
Ahmed Saeed Abwamna of Sudan. Ahmed is working with Cairo-based American percussionist Miguel Merino on a project linking this music and American blues. Stay tuned for more on that. Now it's time for a road trip to the Suez Canal Zone with our good friend Zakaria Ibrahim, founder of the group El Tambura. A few years back, Zakaria created the El Mastaba Center in Cairo, a cultural organization that serves a growing stable of folk artists, including the Bedouin Jerrican Band, Nuba Nur, El Tambura, and the amazing Rango. Like Ahmed El Maghrebi's Makan, Mastaba is devoted to threatened Egyptian folklore, but the focus is the endangered traditions of the Canal Zone, in towns like Ismailia and Port Said. Christina Nelson has worked with both Makan and Mastaba. What's different in Mastaba from Makan is that Mastaba doesn't just bring the music to new audiences but it tries to reintegrate the music into its original context so that, for example, the Sudanese community in Ismailia that had stopped using its traditional musicians for weddings now will hire them again. They're reintegrating this music into their daily lives, having lost it or having given up on it. And I think that's really important. I mean, that music is really alive in those communities. Night by Rango, a group that is reinventing Sudanese music in Egypt. Our Canal Zone tour continues with my Afropop compadre, Banning Air. It's the start of Ramadan, Islam's holy month. But that won't stop El Tambora from putting on their weekly Wednesday night show at Enigma, a beachside venue across the Suez Canal in Port Said's sister city, Port Fouad. The members of El Tambora are getting ready, tuning up their central instrument, the ancient East African lyre called Simsimia. The chairs in this outdoor concert space are starting to fill as a semicircle of 12 male musicians take their seats on the stage. Zachariah Ibrahim, a tall man with a white mustache, sits at the center, playing one of two simsimias. The band kicks off with a spirited instrumental. of the set, a series of singers gets up to perform beloved songs from the local repertoire, dancing with arms held high and exhorting the crowd to join in. The vocal mics are distorting like crazy, but no one seems to mind. After 
the show, we take the ferry back to Port Said and retire to Zachariah's favorite shisha bar for a late-night conversation and jam session. While the band's top Simsamiya player, Mosin, tunes up, Zachariah is explaining modifications Mosin has made to this ancient East African lyre. Originally, to tune an instrument, we use those wooden keys to make one scale. For example, it can be rust scale, because in Arabic music, there is many scales. If you want to make a new scale, you have to retune the instrument again. This is a problem, because how he will stop to retune the instrument. For this, he made a creation which allow him to have all the scales with him. Zachariah asks Mosin to demonstrate his ability to modulate between scales. First, Mosin plays the maqam called hijaz. Next, he modulates from Saba to Bayati, all without retuning. Zachariah and his colleagues have created many such innovations. Inspired by the Western String Quartet, they've created differently sized versions of Simsamiya, Tambora, and another lyre that goes back to pharaonic times, the Gandu. And they've composed new music for the resulting ensembles captured on a gorgeous CD called Arwa. contemporary music by traditional Egyptian instruments. The name is Arwah, and Arwah, it means spirits. It means that the spirits of all those musicians who participated in this CD from different areas in Egypt, it was a meeting between their music and their spirits. Zachariah Ibrahim was a political activist before he was a folklorist. To this day, he sees his work as an act of resistance against pervasive foreign influences, mostly from the West. But at the same time, Zachariah's work with music is deeply personal. When I started to establish in Tambura, I didn't know that there is something called uh, the science of folklore. I was looking for something belonged to me myself, because I was singing these songs when I was 17 and 18 years old. Given the lack of support for traditional music in Egyptian media and industry, you know these guys aren't in it for the money. As Mark Levine, a scholar and musician who spent a lot of time in Egypt, put it, Tambora, you know, one of the great folk bands in the world, but most of these guys, when you hang out with them, they're playing until four in the morning and they're getting up at 7 a.m. to go to their day job. They may tour Europe or Africa three months a year, but the rest of the time they're driving taxis and running, you know, little shops or whatever to survive. 
The night we spent with El Tambora lasted until sunrise, but you don't have to marathon with these guys in Port Said to know the depth of their commitment. It's evident on every track of their two excellent commercial CDs. Just listen. Egyptian folk group El Tambura with Sarale, a traditional song with Bedouin and Nubian influences. The featured lyre, the gandu, is an instrument Zakaria Ibrahim discovered in the home of an old player who had died. It was as good as gone until El Tambura brought it back. And here's another of Zakaria's discoveries. That muted melody you're hearing comes from a very old East African xylophone called Rango. Rango is also the name of a group led by Hassan Bergamon. One look at Hassan's instrument and you can tell it is ancient. The slats are very dry and worn and long, oddly shaped cords and cones hang beneath them as resonators. Hassan says the rango is pretty much extinct these days. He was lucky to grow up among people who had played it. The rango used to be part of Sudanese weddings and also the healing czar ritual. Hassan and Zakaria looked far and wide before finding one surviving rango in a house in Alexandria. This is the instrument Hassan now plays in the group Rango. So let's hear a track from the CD Bride of the Tsar. Come on, baby, come on. 
sound of Rango with Hassan Bergamon. You know, some of Egypt's most powerful living traditions come from Islam, and you sense that very strongly during the holy month of Ramadan. It is an especially festive time in Cairo, more so than in many other Muslim cities. Here is Christina Nelson, and then Scott Marcus. Ramadan is a time when Egyptians become more Egyptian especially the urban community that um, has lost touch with a lot of tradition. Ramadan is the celebration, and that means not one or two days of parties, but 30 days when you're celebrating with family or with friends. Hotels, cultural centers all vie with each other to put on programs. You get a wide spectrum of music from Hakim to epic poetry. But people are particularly drawn to what they see as their roots, you know, their grandmother's cultural performances, epic poets, folk song, uh, Sufi chants. And people are glad to go. It gives them a sense of reconnecting. In the month of Ramadan, of course, there's this big meal right at sunset, and that's uh, this family meal. It's like our Thanksgiving. But interestingly, it's Thanksgiving night after night after night for the whole month. So that's how you break the fast. But the way you start the fast is you have to wake up before sunrise and have your breakfast. So people go to sleep. And then historically, there were percussionists who were hired to walk up and down the streets and wake you up in time so that you could get that breakfast in before sunrise. This is the Masaharati. This person is hired to play specific neighborhoods. And then at some point, you're supposed to pay him for having done that. So every single morning, this person comes and wakes you up. We leave you with a very different sort of traditional religious music. Shortly before the start of Ramadan, our team experienced one of the most exciting musical happenings Egypt has to offer. The final night of a mulid, a Sufi saint celebration in a town in Upper Egypt called Abu Tig. Benning, you were there. Tell us about it. George, this was without a doubt the musical high point of our trip to Egypt. A moulid is like a combination of a carnival, a gospel revival, and a rave. Imagine a town square festooned with colorful fabrics, lights, vendors, speaker towers, and crowds of elated people while high above them, a group of musicians is performing the most rapturous music imaginable through an enormous sound system. 
There's a big story here, and it's the subject of a special web-exclusive podcast to accompany this program. Visit afropop.org to hear it. For now, here's a taste of the music we recorded that night. The singer, or munshid, is Mahmoud El-Tahami, son of Egypt's preeminent Sufi singer Yassin El-Tahami. For all the concerns we heard about the state of traditional music in Egypt, this singer and the reaction he got in Abu Tig was solid proof that Egyptians have not forgotten their roots. Recorded live at the Sufi Festival in Abu Tig, Egypt, Mahmoud El Tuhani. Closing out this hip deep edition on living traditions in Egypt. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRX affiliate stations around the US. And now, more than ever, thank you for supporting your public radio station. Thank you also to Christina Nelson, Scott Marcus, Michael Frischkopf, Mariam Bazid, Zakaria Ibrahim, Ahmad El Maghrabi, and all the amazing traditional musicians we met in Egypt for their help with this program. Visit afropop.org for interviews, videos, and an amazing podcast on the ecstasy of Egyptian Sufi music. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air. With help from Sean. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan, Alistair Sim, and Michael Johnson. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Ben Richmond. 
and I'm Georges Collinet.